This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop list, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com host. When you are pioneering anything or introducing new ideas to the culture, you get criticized. You do? Yeah, did you hear about that? <laughs> I didn't find the one. I found someone I respected and we made it the one. In a sort of longing kind of view of love, people understand each other as if by magic. Nothing in itself is addictive on the one hand. On the other hand, everything could be addictive if there's an emptiness in that person that needs to be filled. I now know that nobody changes until they change their energy. And when you change your energy, you change your life. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations, because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Here we go. My guest today is a great friend and someone who I admire, Allie Wentworth. She's a New York Times bestselling author, an actress, a writer, and one of the funniest people I know. And it's fortunate that our daughters also happen to be best friends. Allie's newest book is called Allie's Well That Ends Well, Tales of Desperation and a Little Inspiration. It comes out on May 10th. Today, we talked about raising teenagers during the pandemic and how Allie and her husband, George Stephanopoulos, continue to fuel their marriage over the years. Allie explained how humor became her currency while growing up in a serious household and how she uses humor to parent, to see the silver lining during dark times, and to be a wonderful wife, friend, and more. So let's get to my chat with Allie Wentworth. It's so good to have you on the podcast. I can't believe I'm at Goop. I know. You're at the HQ. Yeah. And we're in person. And it's nice to do a podcast in person, isn't it? Do you know, I have never done one in person because I started during COVID. That's right. You launched your podcast. In a global pandemic. Right in the smack dab middle of it. And I did because I had COVID early on like you did. And I'm lying in this bed in the winter, end of March, and I hear my two daughters downstairs laughing. And and I thought, how do you grow a teenager in a pandemic? And that started the whole, the whole first season was dedicated to like, there is no handbook for this. No. And so I called Shonda Rhimes' company and I said, you guys have been talking to me about doing a podcast. This is what I want to do. So I've never been in person. It's been on Zoom, like every mm. relationship now. That's, <laughs> I mean, my friends who were online dating during the pandemic, yeah, all on Zoom. It's that so is a weird. whole, that is a really fascinating 
kind of like, I, I don't, I, I don't understand how that happened and like, what are the ways, like, I guess they meet online and then they zoom date. And- yep. So I'm, I predate like dating apps. I know you thank do. Thank God. But you never did any apps. No, I missed that whole thing. (laughs) Yeah, good. (laughs) I missed the dating apps. Yeah. Although it's fun to look at some of them with like a single friend. Oh, beyond. You you know, like, go swipe on him. Like, ew, he's gross. No, (laughs) go. I got to live vicariously through you. So anyway, friends of mine that did do it during COVID, they would Zoom. You know, first they would talk. Then they would Zoom and they'd have like a glass of wine through Zoom and then talk and, you know, every night FaceTime and then they'd meet and then, you know, he'd be four, two and she'd right. be six, eight and that would be that. So but, but weren't there some success stories? Like they would meet and then just walk and then. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I think the nice thing about it was there's a courtship. Yeah. You know. Which is I, quite old fashioned. Which is quite old fashioned. Yeah. But I am a big believer in it. I think it works. I guess you can't really like bang right away if it's a pandemic, right? Because you need I mean, unless COVID you're wearing tests. a hazmat suit and a mask, but it's, that gets very orthodox, I think. <laughs> um, so I just want to ask you, because you're obviously one of the funniest people that we know, and you're a brilliant writer and actress and everything, but you know... Your background doesn't necessarily, like, it's not a clear path, right, to this. I mean, so your mom was Nancy Reagan's social social secretary, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And your dad was at the Washington Post. So you grew up in a very different world, very steeped in Washington, Mm -hmm. and very quite, like, I imagine, like, proper and serious, right? Very serious, very academic and political. Mm -hmm. So what was the... What was the route to comedy and what did your parents, did your mother? My mother, Muffy? Yes. Well, first of all, growing up in D.C., I always equate it with what I imagine like you, growing up in L.A. with parents in the business. Mm -hmm. So, you know, D.C. is a business town just like L.A., except, you know, ugly, corrupt people. But so I grew up certainly these days, which everywhere. But my stepfather was also the editor of the London Sunday Times. Right. So dinner every night was you sat down, you talked about current events. It was during Watergate, so it was Amazing. a very serious time. And was your opinion listened to at the table? Were you asked questions, or was it more of like no? A- it it. My mother didn't mother the way you and I did. Oh, we were very shocking. quiet at the table. Right. And we Children should we be didn't... seen, not heard. Yes. So in matching nightgowns, you know, the word vagina never came up during any of our lamb chops. That's, dinners. I leave this dinner party. <laughs> yes. So it was, we listened, we listened. And meanwhile, I'm going to school with G. Gordon Liddy, you know, with his son, you know, so it's like- if you were in school with Tori Spell, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm in school with Kennedys and all these people and all this insanity is happening around us. And it was very strange. Like if somebody was late for a Little League game, it was because they were at the SALT Treaty signing. You know, that it just... Wow. Otherworldly. and Amazing. I think that my... The reason I sort of went from there to where I am now is um, more emotional and psychological. I think Mm -hmm. I grew up in a house where there was a lot of 
that there was no levity. So I sort of found comedy as a way to stand out and get someone's attention. But also my parents worked all the time. My mm. parents were divorced. So I mostly And how old were you? When? One. Oh, right. Really little. So you know they were really happy before <laughs> I was conceived. My mother likes to say, you know, you were conceived on the beach in the Bahamas. And I go, that sounds romantic, but what's the backstory? She was like, well, we were both having affairs and we were trying to get our marriage back on track and we were really drunk. And I'm like, okay, there we go. There's the romance I'm looking for. So anyway, I the, the psychological part of it was that they were working all the time. My right. mother was never around. And even when I went to boarding school, you know, I would call the White House to talk to my mom because I had a kleptomaniac roommate or someone was getting an abortion and I didn't know what that was and I could never reach her you know you get switchboard to secretary to this person and I think that I decided that performing in comedy was the one way to mm -hmm. get my family to stop for a second and pay attention even if they were laughing at me that was fine at least their mm -hmm. eyes were on me was it effective it was effective. I mean, I just have these so many images of my mother in like an Armani gown and like that big helmet hair from the 80s. And as she was walking out with my stepfather, who would be in a tux, I'd say, wait, wait, can I, five minutes, five minutes. I want to show, you know, I want to do a dance for you. I want to act something out. I want, and they'd say, okay, okay, go. And I would do it and they would laugh. And then I would feel satiated because mm -hmm. I got a response. Mm -hmm. So it grew out of that. Then it was high school. I was chubby, so, you know, I'm not getting the cute boys because I'm not the cute girl, like the crop top one. <laughs> so I, you know, sense of humor, mm. I sort of really honed it and ended up getting the cute boys, you know, because I was fun. I was fun. I was adventurous. In fact, uh, Elliot, my 19-year-old daughter... She loves the story of when I was 16, my parents said, you have to get a job every summer. You have to get a job or you have to go to Europe and dig a well. So I decided I was too young to actually have a paying job. So I created this cake company and I made cakes and it ended up becoming very successful. So, cause I made Reagan's birthday cake. And then in Georgetown, which is a section of DC, I was making cakes for all these people. Wait, Ronald Reagan was allowed to eat a birthday cake that you made in your house? Yes, but when it went through security, they it went through x-rays and then they started stabbing it. You know, it was... Right, okay. uh, Was there like a royal taster that made sure it was... There wasn't, there okay. wasn't. I think they, they also trusted my mother a little bit. I mean... I was told he had it. Who knows? They could have. It could have gone right into the trash. I bet he had it. But you know, she also told me that our dogs died of old age, and I don't think that's true either. I think. Oh really? She I was planning on using that about daffodil. <laughs> it just every dog. I was like, every time we come home from college or boarding school, we'd be like, you know, where's where's Max? And she'd be like, Oh, Max died of old age, but Max was three, Mom. You know? <laughs> oh my God! And it's just like, why is a Volvo? Why are the tires covered in blood? Anyway, so I I sort of still caught the cute boy. So I was making these cakes, and I didn't have my driver's license, so I delivered them on foot. And there was a party going on, and they said, come, you know, Allie, come to the party. And I was like, oh, I'm still working. I'm still delivering cakes. So I showed up at this party. I literally had flour on my forehead. I still had my apron on. And I saw this boy with big blue eyes, and he looks like, your son Moses, but older, just striking. And 
I had never really been in love. I'd never been like, oh, you know, take my breath away. And I went over to him and all the cute girls were talking to him. And I went over and he said, hey, hey. And I was, you know, cracked a few jokes. I wasn't afraid to say anything. And he said, hey, we're driving to Delaware to see the sunset. Do you want to come with us? And I go, yeah. And he goes, do you have a car? I go, yeah. And he goes, great, go get your car and you can follow us. And I went, I took my mother's Volkswagen Rabbit. I didn't have my license. You did not. No. And I drove to Delaware, which was like three and a half hours to see the sunrise. And meanwhile, in the car, I'm going, I just assume it goes in D for drive, you know, and I just white knuckled it, hoping that I could figure out how to drive. And we had our first kiss on the bro- on the boardwalk. And he was like, you're so cool and so game. And you don't, you know, you're not flirty. You're not playing games. You're just like, yeah, let's go. He goes, you just met me. It's so cool. Anyway. I went out with him all through high school and into college, but... Who was it? His name is uh, Jacob Root, and he's a professor now at a school in New York, Hmm. but he went off to Harvard, and so we were long distancing it, and then one day I came to see him for the weekend, and there was this icy blonde, you know, really fancy Harvard girl, and she was redecorating his room, which means she all but pulled down her pants and peed. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I lost him. I lost him. Oh, my yeah, God. She got him. I wasn't around enough. So, but my point is that my personality became my currency. Your secret weapon. Yeah. Which is hard to believe because you are gorgeous and, you know. You're very sweet. You're very sweet, but I've never relied on it. I mean, I was even shopping with my teenage daughter today, and she was like, please put on makeup, please buy clothes. Mm. And I just, like, I don't have that chip. I I wish I cared more. I remember, you know, a few of my gay male friends in D.C. when I married George were like, you're Mrs. Stephanopoulos. Like, you need to step it up. You got to stop with the J. Crew, you know, ripped jeans. But I'm like, I, I wish I cared more. I wish I did. I know. So, I can relate. I'm very tomboyish like that, too. I like comfort. Yeah. I, I like too. comfort. And I also feel like this is who I am. Yeah. I'm not going to, you know, hide anything. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on The Goop List, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. So our daughters are best friends. Can I say that? Yes. I mean, they are best friends. They were like soulmate best friends. And it's been one of the great things about our friendship is kind of like getting to raise these girls in parallel with Mm -hmm. you. So what were the kind of takeaways for you in terms of raising a teenager through the pandemic and 
how did you approach, you know, togetherness and conversation? Like, what were the most challenging parts of that for you? Well, first of all, you know, the idea of a global pandemic, it's just unprecedented time. No, yeah. you know, none of us, there's no handbook for what we went through. There's, you know, we were all like fight or flight. Yeah. We were all just, you know, hammering boards on our window and getting water and, you know, masks and, you know, it was crazy. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I thought this is going to last two weeks. And then it kept going, it kept going. And it's- They told us it was going to last two weeks. They did. They, the president. But one of the things in this book that I wrote, Allie's Well That Ends Well, is really about the silver lining of that time. Yeah. What what did we learn from it? And I know that some relationships, whether you were married or not, some imploded yep. because the, it probably was destined to, but yeah. when they were in this small space, others flourished. Yeah. I'm happy to say my marriage got stronger and I got to see mm-hmm. George kind of, he was kind of a rock star when I was sick. You know, he yeah. was dealing with the girls. He was taking care of me. He was doing GMA in a makeshift TV studio in our dining room with two dogs that would bark if they saw a squirrel, you know, while he's like, (laughs) you know, giving horrible data about, you know, death numbers. And so he, he really stepped up to the plate in a way that um, to me, there's nothing sexier than a man that's like, Mm -hmm. I'm your scaffolding. But with the girls, um, I worried about them because you're, daughter Apple especially is a social animal and suddenly they were cut off from communication but they were also cut off from the stuff they were supposed to be getting their heart broken and and kissing and like all that stuff all all those socialized life lessons that you want them to have I don't you know zooming on you know biology I I just I didn't care you know what I mean like if they said like I got an A on my test I'm like I'm not worried about that you know what I mean right now you're like the movie The Room like I'm worried about like long term you know do you have empathy yeah do you know how to make eye contact like do you know what a penis is like (laughs) I'm worried go out and make mistakes so with them I was concerned and I found that and, and I was so happy that Elliot had Apple because, yeah. you know, FaceTime was actually a blessing. And My I God. have bitched and moaned about social media and girls and worried about it and, and spoke about it at Silicon Valley. And, but it, with my girls, especially that was their connection. And I, I was like, FaceTime all you want. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just connect, connect, communicate. Yeah. Everybody's, you know. There's- I found that with Moses when he was playing video games, which I'm normally like, oh my God, are you playing? But they were meeting on video games yeah. to play together. And I thought, God, this is brilliant. Like there, there's real interaction. There are stakes. They're communicating. Like this is the best we have. So. Yeah. Yeah. So thank God. I mean, yeah. imagine if it were us when we were little and there was nothing, just a telephone, which I'm sure our parents would say like, you have to keep the line open in right. case we, you know, <laughs> exactly. have to get some important information about, you know, where we can get gallons of water. But so, so we sort of let that, we were like, you know, screen time all you want. Mm -hmm. The other thing was that I found that George and I kind of regressed a little in a good way, meaning Mm -hmm. whereas before the pandemic, we were the parents, you know, you have to be home at this time, you know, you have to do your homework. What about this? What about that? And during the pandemic, it was like the playing field was leveled. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, 
Harper, my youngest, got us all to watch Love Island, Love Island, Australia. And George is like, I don't understand. This whole show is about people hooking up. And we were like, yeah, that's all it is. It's called I love the idea of George Stephanopoulos watching Love Island. Love Island, Australia. I can't. And knowing their names. And then for Harper's <laughs> birthday, we bought cameos of these people wishing her happy. She's like, Hapa, happy birthday. And we had one night where Elliot and Harper wanted a Love Island, Australia dinner. So we dressed up. We The girls wore bikinis and heels and George wore his bathing trunks. So, you know. George is a good body. He's a good body. Let's and he's game. It. He is game. I know. He's a great dad. He's so sweet he's a and great engaged. Dad. My God, so good. So we kind of all became just these human beings yeah. hanging out together. I mean, Harper had a tendency to fall into TikTok. So she'd start TikToking when we were talking about COVID numbers and terrorism, which was her way of dealing. Mm-hmm. So we all made a movie about it. So Elliot wrote a script and George played the psychiatrist, and I played the mother who was worried about the girl who couldn't come out of a TikTok trance. <laughs> and, you know, we played together. Where is this way. movie? Oh, it's it's on their computers. Oh, my God. I know. You'll, you, you'll get a, your own preview. I need it. It's not going to go out into the world. But, you know, the things we never would have done with mm-hmm. them, I think, if we weren't had this condensed time. Yeah. And such a precious time, especially... In regards to Elliot, who then, yes. you know, who's now a freshman in college, and yeah. just to have the that concentration of quality time, I mean, even though it was surreal and there were incredible, I mean, who knows what the, in terms of like the deleterious effects of this whole thing, I think, it, I think it's unmeasurable, right? And um, I worry about the mental health of- I do too. Yeah. I really do too. Because yes, Elliot is, um, you know, she's always been- our kid who was very close to her parents to the point where we were like go out you know and she'd be like i I don't really want to go out and drop molly and give hand jobs i'm like well (laughs) that's my kind of saturday night (laughs) i know it's like all right you can watch mad men with us but you know she was so you know enmeshed with us that I worried, mm-hmm. you know, the, the disconnecting from us. This is a girl that didn't go to sleepaway camp, yeah. didn't go away to school. So it was a really hard transition yeah. for her, which yeah. it would have been anyway. But, you know, suddenly she's literally like ripped from her bed and yeah. she's in a different state. So there was a hard transition. She's great now, but, it, yeah. you know, it wasn't easy and it wasn't easy for us. Yeah, which I want to ask you about because as I, as you know, I'm just following in your footsteps and the first child leaving home. And I'm just wondering, you know, I feel like there's what's, – what's really striking to me is, again, like women not coming together to sort of talk about these incredibly vulnerable times. And people talk about, you know, a kid leaving to college. Like, oh, it's, you know, it's hard. And But I, I think past like the grief of – imagining like being in the kitchen in the morning without her and those things that like totally break my heart Mm -hmm. when I project myself there. I wonder like how you sort of recalibrate your parenting around, you know, these transitional times. It's like, I know how to be a parent to a baby and a toddler and like a a kid and then an older kid, a teenager. But that's because I've always had the benefit of having her under my roof and I'm with her every day for her whole life, you know, basically every single day. And then they kind of go out into the world. And I think endemic in that is like they have to stand on their own two 
legs and kind of like explore their own womanhood and what their boundaries are and what's important to them and where they're diverging from you. And, and so how am I supposed to do that? It's just, it's really hard. And I talk to a lot of women about the emptiness syndrome. And I realized that it, it really depends on the women that you talk to, because there are some women that were very much apparent and, you know, the, the line was drawn and, you know, I'm your parent, you do this, we got him into college, goodbye, Right. you know? And then there are... That's not the Jewish women. No, and it's <laughs> not the... It's, well, it is the waspy women, but I, you know, I was the black sheep, so I was very, I'm very involved in my kids' lives. And, you know, I started thinking about, oh my God, I can't protect her, I don't da 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 And I thought through my tears... At a certain point, they all that discomfort and pain is going to serve them well. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, it's actually not a good thing if I tried to micromanage everything in her mm-hmm. life. And it's it's a hard lesson for me because mm-hmm. obviously we get a lot out of it too. Mm-hmm. But think of the times in your life that you've had to sort of chart those waters by yourself, yeah. you know, whatever they were with, with men, with your career, with, you know, it's, I want the lessons for her, even though it's, you don't want the pain. I don't want the pain, but you know, I had a lot of pain. I've had a lot yeah. of lessons. It and comes it, part and parcel. I yeah. mean, it's how you, it's how you grow from, yeah. from the fi- friction. And, but I also think you're allowed to grieve, you know, when yeah. Elliot went to college, I, I was a mess and I just said to George, like, I'm going to lie on the couch now and I'm going to eat really gooey brie and I'm going to, you know, watch some horrible Netflix shows and you just have to let me, this is, this is just what I got to do. This is what it is. I don't feel like working right now. I don't feel like writing. I don't feel like, you know, lifting a Pilates bell. I just (laughs) like, I want to grieve this. I'm upset and I'm going to own those feelings and feel them. I find that I'm grieving it all the time, like in real time and every day. And it hits me all the time. I probably cry like multiple times a week. Apple would say more if she were here. Mm -hmm. But I am excited for her to separate and find, you know, the ways in which she can like fortify herself. And so like what are, as, as a mother, what are the things about Elliot and Harper that you feel like, oh, these are the things that I feel really like secure and for them that they have these traits, like that this is a part of their character. Um, the, the first are really superficial, but they are <laughs> polite people. They are human beings that are polite. They and, are. And have empathy and care about the world. And, you know, that to me was very important. Mm-hmm. You know, you can have two very different children. Which I know. I do. So do I. Yeah. So with Elliot, you know, she's always known who she was. She's very clear about who she is. Yes. And, you know, the other stuff, I've worked with her on it, or she's yeah. worked with a therapist on it. And it's like, you know, whether it's social anxiety, whatever it is, she's worked on it before going to college. She'll learn. I, I, I keep yeah. telling her, like, you're learning until you die. Yeah. Like, my 87-year-old mother is still, like, the mean girls at the independent living place won't have me join their dinner table. So I'm like, Elliot, it's just, it, oh my it God. lasts forever. Is that true? Yeah. Those fucking She's ladies. like, I think it's because I was in the White House. And I'm like, I don't think they know that. But okay. All right. Maybe. Maybe. They're all liberal Democrats <laughs> and they know. Well, she was the only Democrat in the White House. It's they so They hired good. her 
for her party skills. But <laughs> the other thing is when they go off and they come back, like when we have a family vacation or if they like, came back for Thanksgiving, suddenly they're these human beings out in the world mm-hmm. and you you see them in a different light. The relationship pivots. Yeah. That's what I'm curious about. Like, so what as a mother do you do to kind of allow for that space in the pivot? A few things. One is my younger daughter, Harper, is like, bye on Friday afternoon and we don't see her until Sunday. So she's very independent and social. And with Elliot, how I helped her was I didn't pick up the phone every time she called. Ooh, I will never be able to have that kind of strength. But but for her, for her own I good. know. So, you know, every third time, or I would text her and say, you're really upset right now. I want you to go take a walk or do this. And then, you know, mm-hmm. and I can't talk right now, but then, you know, we'll talk. Also texting. I'm like, we are not dealing with the world problems on text. Right. You know, it, we have to talk on the phone. We right. can't, I hate that. Right. Because I get like, I'm soup angst. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> oh my so it's a little bit about having them kind of, build their own muscles in the world. And right. it's painful, but it's it's the right thing to do for them. Yeah. And, you know, of course you're there. Of course, I mean, I know way too much. Oh. But the fact that I, like, I, when I went to college, nobody took me to college and went to Bed Bath & Beyond the week before. I, like, drove in my beat-up Honda and, like, with Same. an old pillow and just hoped that, you yeah. know, the, the potheads would let me in. But... <laughs> You know, so we do micromanage in a way that... But do you think we're doing them a disservice by being so cognizant of their feelings and... I don't. I I mean, I don't. And if I did, it's too late now because I feel like we're very conscious of creating good human beings in a world now where the world seems to be very rogue. You know, it's like when you see fascist dictators take over countries and people slap each other on television, you go... Uh, uh, no, I need to really like be hands on. It's like it's almost like right now it's just all bets are off. Every, every every way that we understood the world to work, it's been dismantled. Yeah, and it's like anything goes, and that's what I find sort of terrifying. And that's why it's so hard to be sometimes a parent because yeah. you're feeling it too. Yeah. I mean, we were so scared during COVID. That how do you sort yeah. of be a rock for your kids who are going, what the hell's going on? Yeah. And yet you're freaking out too. I yeah. mean, I have a husband who was, you know, very involved in the, the politics in the world and was getting, you know, the news alerts about everything. But he's a journalist, so he was almost a little bit split off from the emotional stuff, right. you know? And I was sitting there eating Mac and Bolio's ice cream going, like, are we going to die? Are we going to die? Like, what's happening? You know, but his was like, that just meant his job got busier. So does he, is he able to remain sort of dispassionate and kind of like professorial about these world events that happen? I think Trump and the pandemic just floored him in a way that, you know, he's somebody who, you know, he's, he's a public servant and he sort of saw the world with these big Greek eyes and thought like we can save democracy and, you know, we're going to do this and civil rights. And now he just goes, oh, it's the Wild West. It's just whatever. It's a rogue nation. And what does he think about that? He's deeply sad about it. Mm -hmm. He's deeply sad. He tries what he can on his Sunday show and, you know, GMA, but GMA has become more entertainment. But 
you know, he's, he's so sad and disheartened. And all we talk about is like our mortality and what our children, like what is the world that Apple's going to live in? Yeah, that's the thing. Like when I extrapolate this out, kind of the vein that we're on, I'm like, what what happens? And like, where are we as a society in 10 years? And does the internet just ensure that there's a no re-knitting of society, right? Because now all these splinters and factions can have their own you know, wind beneath their wings. And like, I just don't see a way back to a center or a compromise. Like it's gone so totally nuts. Yeah, it has. I mean, we can't, we, I've talked about this with your husband and you. Yeah. We're, we don't even understand the technology, right? you know? And yeah. so it's, it's taking control and you start hearing about the metaverse and, you know, and I, I'm like, I, I'm what, you know, and somebody is suing because they were sexually assaulted in the metaverse. And I, you know, it just, it's, my brain is way too slow for this stuff. I mean, <laughs> I'm like my mother with an iPhone. Like, I'm like, what, what? But, you know, I worry about that. I worry about my kids and their kids. Like, yeah. what is, even with with the global crisis, you know, yeah. to me, I go, even if this technology, you know, takes us into this other, you know, matrix dimension, the truth is, like, the polar bears are dying and the water's changing and our, you know, one minute it's 60 degrees and then it's 30. That, that to me, yeah. is there's no going back with that. And, you know, I only hope that we're raising a generation of kids that, are really thinking you guys screwed up and now we're going to figure out how to farm soil and, you know, do all these things to kind of put the brakes on it a little bit. Maybe I'm just a stupid optimist, but I, I think they will. And I think that, you know, I'm even seeing like technologies emerge or like being able to invest in companies that capture carbon dioxide out of the air. There's so many ways that technology, I think, will have to solve these problems yeah. because there's kind of no And other. there's, you know, organizations now that, you know, go on and try to stop online hate through legislation. And, you know, so there are... Well, I think that's a lost cause. I'm sure it is. But, but I'm... a. I'm a stupid optimist too. Yeah. So I hope that I just think that in particular because you know until people can understand the degree to which they're unhealed and like unwilling to be vulnerable in that way and then change and be like okay and I mean, the the internet is such a great release for rage. Yeah. And so for many people it's like a kind of therapy, you know, to be incredibly full of venom and hate and because it's anonymous and I think it gives people a quick dopamine spike and it makes people feel we can legislate it but I'm not sure I, maybe we'll evolve out of that but it might become like so mainstream that it doesn't provoke anything you yeah. know what I mean I mean and I'm talking about like extreme online hate and yeah. terrorism and all that yeah. stuff because again that's just this is a whole new that, world yeah. nothing's been regulated nothing's been challenged you know yeah. So one of the things also that one of the reasons why Brad and I love hanging out with you guys is because you have a really good marriage. And, you know, someone once said to me, like, if you want a good, strong marriage, hang out with other people who have really good, strong marriages too, because it's sort of, you know, it's like... Osmosis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's really nice to be friends with people who have that degree of like commitment and respect. And like, I love how much you make him laugh. And, you know, cause you like grow up thinking of George Stepanopoulos is so fucking serious. And then yeah. like you make him giggle. Like, yeah, like I'm, all night long. I'm more surprised than anybody that I married him. That was not, 
what I thought was. But I just will you just tell the story a little bit because it's so romantic, and then you were engaged like two seconds after you. you so were, I was blind living, date. I was living in L.A. and I was going out with less fires. I had a. I was engaged to somebody. I broke off that engagement, and then I had a little moment where I had always been in these long relationships. So I had like the British bad boy and the French oh, director yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. who I didn't realize that it, I was supposed to understand in the French culture, he was allowed to sleep with lots of women while he was with me. And so, and then I was alone, which I tell my girls and I will scream it from the rooftops for young women. I think it's really good to have a, a amount of time in your life that you're alone, mm-hmm. you know, and not be, you know, frantic. Oh my God, it set me up with somebody. I got to be with somebody. I got to be yeah. in a relationship. Like, why, why do you think, and then we'll go back to that, but yeah. why do you think that we are programmed that way as women? Like I remember one time, like one period of time where I was single in New York and I was working on a movie and I felt so bereft, like to be alone and have no boyfriend. And, and then I was like, what, why, why am I programmed to think that I need a boyfriend all the time? But it's very deep, the programming. Yeah, you're not complete. I know. You're not complete. What's wrong with you? Why right. do, Why don't you have a boy or significant other? Why yeah. aren't you? And so there was a moment when I was living in LA and I was like, well, if I'm not going to date agents or actors, yeah, you know, I've yet to meet an interesting dentist. So I'm, I'm going to be alone. I'm not going to just, you know, I, the too many times I would belittle myself to try to fit a mold of, of somebody else. And I was like, screw it. And I started, I was writing movies and I had my own house and I felt like empowered and great. And I didn't miss, you know, making an omelet for someone else. I didn't miss sex. I was really like feeling great. I'd had these big dinners with tons of interesting people. And, and I was set up with George by an old girlfriend of his and he was kind of a serial dater. Like, he dated the island of Manhattan. I'm surprised no one set you up with him. I think... Somebody no, might, might have tried. No, no? I never, never. He, he was... He, but he was quite the... I remember there was a few actresses he was going out with. Yeah, he and, went out with Jennifer Grey. Yeah. Wasn't there some character in the West Wing, you know, for him or something like that? Like, I mean, I think Brad Whitford and Rob Lowe were... A combo, a combo of him. Yeah, but th- it was not what I wanted. I right. like we talked back to earlier. DC. Yeah, I grew up in that world. It did not impress me. I've always hated politics. So <laughs> when I finally was like, "All right, I'll call him when I'm in New York," I all I saw was an article: my date with George Stephanopoulos. Like I really thought right. it's a funny piece, right? And I didn't. I don't shower. I mean, my hair was like in a scrunchie. I wore a black suit because I'm like, that's what smart people wear. I read the New York Times. You know, I just thought- In preparation. In preparation. And he wanted to have dinner with me. And I was like, what about coffee? And he said, what about lunch? And I said, okay, I'll meet you at Barney's, which was this department store in New York. Because I figured if it was a total dud, I'd get my Kiehl's exfoliator, yeah. you know, if this is pre-goop. At Barney's. But I didn't have my goop glow. And I just, you know, I was really like, it's going to be 45 minutes. I'll, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, DC, the White House, Clinton, I don't know what. And I met him. He didn't really know who I was. Of course, I knew who he was. And we sat down, we both ordered the crab salad. The first thing I asked him was if he was on antidepressants. 
So we talked about that. Wow. And we just, there was no chit chat. We just like went in. I felt like I'd known him my whole life. And then after lunch, he shook my hand. And I thought, oh, he's not interested. Right. You know, in LA, if they like you, you know, they pull you by the hair up the stairs to bed. So I just thought, oh, okay. He just wants to be friends. And this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. We had a real courtship. You know, mm-hmm. we, he took me to the movies the next night and, you know, we went out to dinner and it was a very gradual thing. And I remember one night after dinner, we were in a cab and I assumed we were going to go back to his apartment which was very much a single man's apartment. You know, it was like you clap your hands and the fire starts and Chardé plays. I'm like, oh, Jesus. Okay. So we were in the cab and I said to him, you know, I just I just want you to be really aware. You know, I'm not bendy. You know, I know that you've dated dancers. Like, I'm not bendy. Like, I'm okay in bed. I have cellulite. Like, uh, I like to wear, you know, T-shirts. And I did went through this whole litany of like the insecure girl thing. And at the end, he pulled up in front of the building I was staying at. Like, he wasn't taking me home, you know? He just, like, kissed my hand. I was like, oh, my God, I'm such an idiot. (laughs) But then I went away with my mother and my sisters to a spa. And I spent the whole time chain-smoking out the window of the spa, talking to him on the phone. And they would come in and out, like, do you want a bran muffin? You know, we're going to yoga. And I was like, go, go, go. And I talked to George the whole weekend, like, eight hours on the phone. Wow. So... We had that courtship, and then... That's this is before you ever kissed or anything? Yeah. Wow. And then I stayed in New York after. Like, I was supposed to go back to L.A., and he was like, I know that you have to go back to L.A. I was like, no, I don't. Like, I did not play any of the games wow. at all. I was like, nope, I got nothing. <laughs> and meanwhile, this friend of mine I was staying with in New York, she goes, tell him that you're going on a date with Prince Albert of Monaco. I'm like, what? Oh, my God. I was like, no, I'm too old. I'm not playing games. This is who I am. Like, either you like it or you don't, and we'll move on. And so two months later, we were going to Greece together, and he proposed. And I was like, TikTok, Like, what? And we were long distance, wow. and it felt like it was taking forever. But I think we we met, and we wanted our life to start. Mm-hmm. We were like, oh, we want to be together. We yeah. want to be married. Let's go. What, what, what are we waiting for? And how have you managed to maintain such a strong marriage? I think uh, a good marriage is a few things. I think one is, and people that have gotten married or second or their second marriage or third marriages have said, "What do you? What do you? What's your advice?" Mm-hmm. And I say, you go into a marriage with the full commitment of growing with this person and, you know, forever. Because if you go into the marriage, like, well, we'll see, we'll see if it works, you know, if it doesn't, that's fine. You know, that this kind of like loosey goosey, Mm -hmm. you really have to go in it and go, I'm going to work on this. And by the way, some people go in and you work on it and you go to therapy and you do everything you possibly can. And for some reason, the growth didn't happen at the same time. And then you can walk away from a marriage and go, I, I had everything. one of those, yeah. I know you did. But I think you have to go in with the idea that you're going to do everything you can to make this yeah. this plant grow. I think sex is a big part of it. I know. You guys shag all the time. Well, I'm it's insane. Right, right there with you, sister, I know, but this but... is my second marriage. Like, I've only been married three years. Like, of course I shag all the time. But you know what? It's the only thing that you do with that person that you don't do with anyone else. I and know, I, it's true. I like to say to George, you're not my best friend. Like you're my lover and you're the father of my children and we've created a world together. You're not my best friend. 
You know, if, if he doesn't gossip or anything and I'm like, Oh, we have to chew on this for hours to understand (laughs) human beings and relationships. So he's my soulmate, but he's not my best friend, you know? And I think that's where your women friends come in too. And do you think that's an important distinction? Yeah. I yeah. think it's good to have your women friends. Mm-hmm. I always push George, like you, you need male friends to talk, like to talk about me with, you know? I don't know that men do that. They so don't. Much. Yeah. They don't. I mean, I'm not sure. Your husband probably does more than mine. I don't know. I mean, he, my husband's very communicative for sure, but I'm just not sure I think that he's in his cir- circle of friends. He's the the most like that, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like he gets with his other dudes, and I'm not sure they're like, let's break down what happened, right? You know, like no, I know, I just... and and I think for George, especially because he was so young in this kind of high stakes adult yeah. working world, he never really did it. And like I once said to him, if you walked in in the middle of the day and caught me in bed with another man, who would you call? And he said, I would call one of your friends and go, what the hell's going on? And what I meant was, what what close friend would you be able to be, you know, heartbroken, screen? And, and he didn't. Wow. And he says that it is really hard to get men to open up in that way. Yeah. I remember once saying a few years ago in the summer... We were talking. I said, "I bet, I bet Brad Falchuk is somebody that you could yeah. really go deep with." Because I think they had once yeah. before. Yeah. And but men don't like to do that. But if you have women friends that do, mm-hmm. that's you. You can do a lot of stuff over there yeah. that maybe your husband doesn't want to, or or just that's not his thing. Right. And and by the way, George celebrates my female friendships. Like he, yeah. he thinks it's great. You yeah. know, he's nothing makes him happier than you know me and Elliot having dinner with you and Apple, and you know because he knows how important it is to me and to us. Yeah. So I would say that that not necessarily this person is your everything, your best friend, your this, your right. that. I do think sex is important. I think it's a way to connect that's very significant to that relationship. I agree with you. And I also, I think there's a lot of women who shut down because of menopause. Mm-hmm. And that makes me sad because I think it's it's not only, you know, there's orgasms and all the benefits of that, but they're not having that kind of incredible connection and union with their partner mm-hmm. that makes you feel so close to them, yeah. you know? And I, I can even tell... If, if I haven't seen George in a while and stuff, I actually have nightmares Mm -hmm. about being abandoned or because I'm not feeling physically connected with him. Do you feel like sex after menopause is as good or? Uh, For me, it is. See, that's so great to hear. Yeah, for me, it is. And I think. I have another friend who was just saying that, you know, that's such bullshit that you like dry up and it's terrible. Like she's having amazing sex after menopause and, and she's a very hot young boyfriend too. So that might help, but, but I think it's, it's again, people like goop and there's this company womanness and all these people that are now saying like, Hey, you know, there was no, my mother would never have found an oil that she could use for sex. That was a lubricant that smelled good. That was also, you know, those didn't exist now and now they exist. And I have had a few occurrences where on somebody's birthday, a girlfriend, I gave them, I picked products and yeah. some from, even from your company that were about that, yeah. like sexual health. And yeah. it's like, don't deprive yourself of that. No. Don't shut down. And because of that, I, I, I still have 
great sex with George. That's awesome. And what you both have to want it. I realize like this is this part of the conversation is like a heteronormative conversation and I don't want to alienate anybody, but no. as someone who loves and admires you and it's like you don't want to make the same mistakes and like that you made in a first marriage and I really, I really do like look up to you as one of my friends who's made a really successful marriage work over a lot of years. I really just want to hear the ways that you're a wife that fuel your marriage that George appreci- appreciates. That's a great question. And it's something I think that you already inhabit. But, and I want to say, just add one more thing to what you just said, which is I have good friends, lesbians that have been together for 30 some odd years. And I look at them and they still have a great sexual life, a great friendship and everything because they, and they both have just gone through menopause because they both want that for yes, each other you know you if, if somebody has checked out or if somebody doesn't want that there's there's nothing you can do you right there's very little to do but no but I do think that there's always a road to that breakdown right yeah. and it's like to be able to identify and then name it and ha- be able to live in the vulnerability or like very difficult conversations and yeah. say this is what I'm perceiving is this happening like let's be very real with each other to try to you know avoid that outcome if 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 that's the case, but yeah. And I think for me as a wife, there are a few different things. One is we deal with things right away. So there's no angry, not speaking, festering that to me, I've seen a lot of relationships implode because there's a buildup of, Mm -hmm. of resentment and, and anger. And if that's not, as my mother would say, you have to, you know, shake it out and lay it down. If that's not dealt with, Mm -hmm. it just, it, gets really sour. And do you have a way that you flag like something's wrong or how do you do that? We both do it in different ways. If one of us has pissed the other one off, one of us will literally come into the room that the person's in and sit down in the chair and go, all right, let's deal with it. I mean, it's really like, let's deal with it because the first few years of our marriage, we didn't know how to deal with it. And so, and we didn't know each other that well. So, you know, it was like fighting and this and that and in game playing and resentment. And it was just like, it took forever, you know? So now what would be a three day fight? We can end it in 10 minutes. That's awesome. So it's like, just be vulnerable Mm -hmm. and say this really, you know, what are you doing? You know that that's a trigger for me, or you know that that makes me sad or, so there's the relationship stuff. And then... He's a, you know, he is a Greek man. He just is. And he will tell you, I, you know, I love an independent woman. I love that Allie works. I love, but he's a Greek man. So. So he does love that. And. And I have a roast chicken (laughs) on the table at six o'clock. He's got very traditional family values, as do I. Mm -hmm. And I love to make dinner for my family. We have family dinner every night. You're a great cook. So, well, thank you, as you are. And so, you know, there are traditional values. His father is a priest that that I have taken on myself and I I believe in. And, you know, I, I wanted to have family dinner with my kids, even though I read that, you know, if they have family dinner, there's 20% less chance that they'll be addicted to drugs and all that bullshit. But... You know, I I wanted to know my kids and connect with my kids, and he did too. So uh, there is a, 
another part of me that is like, you know, yes, I decorate the Christmas tree. I make sure there's Easter eggs. I make sure there's Valentine's candy. Like he's not going to do that and I'm happy to do it. Right. But I wanted to, especially for George, create a familial, warm, cozy, traditional life. And I wanted him to have that as much as myself. And I knew how to do it. Yeah. So I do it. And... And you don't do it with any resentment. You love, like, no, you have, I love doing it. Right. I really do. I love doing it. And then what are the ways that he's a great husband to you? He's, he's incredibly open. He will talk. He will sit mm-hmm. down and say, what, what was that? What's going on? He's very non judgmental. He's very non judgmental, which is something my husband, ha- they share that. Yep. He has never lied in his life. He will not lie. He is a, my moral compass. Mm. He is the person I go to and I say, Oh God, what do I do? And he always gives me the, the right advice. Mm -hmm. You know, even when I go, Oh my God, I don't want to call them and tell them that I lied and I don't want to host this charity event, but he's, he's, you know, my, again, my moral compass, Mm -hmm. which is there's, that's a huge turn on is to have somebody that you respect. He's, the most loving father from when they were little and the, he let them put makeup on him. He connects with the daughters in a way. He never took on this like, I'm your father. And so, you know, you're my daughters. He he plays with them. He laughs with them. Yeah. And I think because of his incredible academic record, they're intimidated by him and they work hard to do well f- by him, yeah, you know? Yeah. And I think that's what makes us interesting parents because mm. we come from parenting in two different ways. And they know, you know, George was a Rhodes Scholar and got straight A's. And so they really strive for that. Yeah. And, you know, they <laughs> get sort of the nurturing different things from me. Mm-hmm. And I also parent through humor, which that was a new thing for George, but it has worked for us. Yeah. So they kind of get the best of both worlds. Yeah. And he also, which I I didn't know when I first married him, how he would be about this. He's very affectionate with me. And so we've normalized that kind of physical relationship for our kids. You know, Mm -hmm. he'll say on a Sunday afternoon to me, mommy and I are going to go take a nap. And the girls are like, oh, Jesus, God. (laughs) And we say to them like, yeah, sorry that we're, you know, we're happily married and we have a sex life. Like, sorry, we're not divorced <laughs> like your other friends. Like, I don't know what to tell you, you know, Can't talk win. about it in therapy. I'm sure you can find something wrong with that. As you look forward now, like hopefully you have a whole second half of your life ahead of you. Like, what are you looking forward to? You know, I think about that because Harper's going to go away to college soon and it's going to be me horrifying. and, George, oh and it's going to be horrifying and but also but there is another chapter yeah, to it exactly. and George and I started working on projects together I, I like to think that we will continue our like our curiosity about life mm-hmm. I think we are going to travel I'm going to keep writing he's going to write a book soon I, I think you just keep your intellect your physicality sort of vibrant, connected. Because again, like, you know, George could live, I mean, based on his lineage. His his blue zone. I know, seriously. So we better come up with something. And, you know, there are also things we're not going to do. He loves golf. I will never, I will never hook into that. I I just, it's not for me. It's not my thing. Go do golf. I think it's okay to be, you know, a couple and have you know, different interests and different things. That's great. great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, great, go play chess. Come back together at the end of the day. Yes. Yes. 
So I, I'm tentative but excited about the next chapter. And then your book that's coming. Allie's Well That Ends Well. Allie's Well That Ends Well. How many of this, this is going to be your fourth New York Times bestseller? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's very exciting. I'm excited, yeah. And what, what's your sort of thesis? It's really about my time in COVID and lessons that I learned and how it shifted our family dynamics. But all, you know, with a humorous slant yes. to it. So it's, you know, the Love Island story. It's, you know, I I had to find something for myself that connected me to nature. And I never knew I cared about nature. Mm-hmm. But I started walking and I started clamming. And clamming became this incredible meditative thing for me. And, you know, just sort of what we all went through as a as a planet. Yeah. But, uh, and a lot of people so much more horrific than what I experienced, but I, it's only relative to me. Mm-hmm. And so it's really about, wow, looking at our mortality in the world and our families and, mm-hmm. and how Harper didn't, her camp was canceled and you would have thought that was the worst thing in the world. And she was hysterically crying. Mm-hmm. And I had to go to Carvel and get a, with a mask on and gloves and get a fudgy the whale cake. And that somehow made her stop crying for a Listen, few minutes. Fudgy is a panacea. I, well, that's face the, t- the cover of my book. I'm holding a melted fudgy the whale cake because all I did during the pandemic was drive to Carvel to get these damn things because it was the only thing that made people smile. Oh so God. anyway, it's the thesis is, you know, the sort of inspirational things I learned, how I, you know, changed even how I am as a, as a social being. Like now Mm -hmm. it's very hard for me to be social again. Like I'm, I'm good with a handful of friends and my family. I know. Me too. I've really receded. I've receded, but I'm okay with it. Yeah, me too. And I don't like high heels and. Me neither. I can't do it. My cholesterol is 336. So apparently I can't eat ice cream the way I did. You're done. Mm -hmm. As long as you don't recede from me. That's... I will not. Okay, good. I mean, God, our daughters may end up getting married. I know. <laughs> They're in it. To They're in it. it. I know. To, I mean, they've already worked out the next 40 years of their life together. I know, together. the first apartment yeah. after college. I know. Which you're going to have to pay for because it's super fancy. <laughs> Thanks for listening to my conversation with Allie Wentworth. Her new book, Allie's Well That Ends Well, is publishing on May 10th, and I highly recommend you pre-order a copy today. Thanks for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts.